0: You're watching Two on One, the Internet's Top Sensation, where two disciples theologian talk to a theologian about the pop culture topic of his, her, or their choosing. Hi, I'm one of your co-hosts, the Reverend Arthur Stewart.
1: Hello, I'm your other co-host, the Reverend Stephanie Kendall. Arthur, it's good to
0: see you. It's good to see you as well. Uh, It's nearly fall. Uh, It's not October. It's not pumpkin spice season, unless you observe it year-round. But, you know, fall is in the air. School is back in session. Uh, Pumpkins are blooming i don't know what really makes fall a thing even though it's my favorite season
1: i was like do pumpkins bloom they do bloom they are the bloom
0: yep they are the bloom because it uh, is weird anyways how you been
1: <laughs> okay um I, i'm great uh fall is just around the corner i do i love new york in the fall i it's my favorite time people always ask like oh i want to come to new york and they want to come in the spring or the summer you know all the things so i'm like come in late fall because it is not hot anymore the humidity has gone the leaves are changing new york come thanksgiving new york is an attraction it's an attraction in and of itself but like it changes and it's the most fun so come on to new york y'all
0: um mm-hmm. uh, we already have some brown and crunchy leaves on the ground out here in Kansas, and we had our first autumn storm. Like we sat out on the porch and just watched it come in, and ugh, it's my favorite.
1: I love that. I did though yesterday. No, not yesterday. A couple of days ago. Um, not just because we're recording these, but because it truly was a couple of days ago. Time's just a bit elusive. Um, I went up to the Bronx Botanical Garden and got to do a wedding. And, uh, which is just, you know, weddings, babies, baptisms, it, all the things that are like the real joys of this job. Um, and it was for just a couple that I have known for years and they're wonderful. And they gave me, uh, as their officiant, a stole because she did not have a bouquet. She wanted a bouquet. Uh, so my stole is all these flowers and I was her bouquet. Oh. And she was like, I'm sorry. I just didn't have time. Cause it was a for no reason other than they just wanted to get married. They just decided to get married. Um, it was a rather quick turnaround on this wedding. And so she was like, I didn't get a Jeff One I'm really sorry. And I was like, that's okay. But it reminded me to go on Jeff One Row's uh, website because, as he is our lead sponsor, he does have beautiful um, stoles that have flowers on them. And as if you are someone that is looking to do something unique for your wedding or just a really nice gift for someone, this using the bouquet, uh, as the stole for the officiant was just such a really lovely way to incorporate, like to feel incorporated. And I just wanted to share that story and just how meaningful it was for me to do that. And then I know Jeff would provide such a, a a beautiful stole for that occasion as well.
0: Well, I mean, for, 16 years, maybe longer. Uh, I should probably update our timeline on that because I keep adding time to it. But for, here, so Jeff. For, for an expansive amount of time, Jeff Wonder Designs has been crafting, creating, and cultivating liturgical textiles of all varieties, be they frontals, pyramids, altar, accessories, uh, chasubles, copes, uh, miters, face masks, or even... Stolls, especially stolls. You can check out the full catalog of Jeff OneRow stoles at Jeff Onero, J-E-F-F-W-U-N-R-O-W.com. And hey, if you're buying a stole for someone or for yourself, you can use our special discount code.
1: And that is two-on-one, one-five. So it's two-on-one as written out. One-five are digits. And uh, it gets you 15% off your entire stole order. So if you are in need, if you are going to have an ecologically sustainable wedding and you want your officiant to have your bouquet of flowers, you can buy that stole. And then, if you know someone that's getting ordained uh, and you need to buy an ordination stole, you can throw that stole into your cart. And if you are a pastor or you just want to prep for Pastor Appreciation Month, which is always coming up essentially, uh, you can throw that stole, that stole that you want into the cart too and get 15% off your entire stole order.
0: I promise you that if you appreciate your pastor outside of October, they will still feel loved, especially if you give them a the oh, Jeff right. designed stole. So go to jeffunro.com, J E F F W U N R O W dot Hey, also speaking of Pastor Appreciation Month,
1: sure. Be a
0: really great gift to give your pastor. What do you?
1: <laughs> I did it two weeks in a row. I know what you're talking about now. Um, okay, Arthur, ask me again, do it one more time. <laughs> I'm not even cutting any of this. People are gonna watch how we work.
0: Hey, Spiff. Yeah. Speaking of Pastor Appreciation Month in October, do you know what you can get your pastor as a token of your appreciation?
1: Not only your pastor, but your entire congregation, Arthur. You can get them. Are you still watching, tuning into?
0: Using pop culture to tune in, find God. Tune in, find God,
1: and get get renewed for another season. Um. I promise, get it. Uh, oh man, Chalice, don't drop us yet. Uh, it's a collection
0: of 12 essays uh, contributed by a variety of folks with uh, viewpoints on everything from My 600-Pound Life on TLC to Next to Normal, uh, uh, the musical from years ago, to Schitt's Creek, to Ted Lasso. We're actually right now interviewing a lot of- Beyonce. our. Oh yeah. We're, we're talking to 10 of our 12 contributors because Spiff and I are the other two. Uh, and we're interviewing them not even about their chapters so you can go to chalicepress.com you can pre-order are you still watching just search for that we'll have links everywhere in our stuff because despite the fact that spiff can't remember the name of the book
1: <laughs> i can't do i can remember in every other space except for the ones where we're on air so i'm really sorry
0: it's okay it's great uh but yeah appreciate your pastor on october 25th and always as well hey uh hey. we can we bring in our guest in just a moment and can i say this our guest the reverend dr deleslin Kennebrew, is sincerely one of my favorite human beings on this planet like top 10 out of 7.3 billion uh and i'm so excited to welcome her today i know you like- I don't even crack
1: the top 30 so this is saying something i mean it like
0: it is indeed and uh deleslin Kennebrew, welcome to two on one we are so glad you're with us today
2: Greetings. Thank you so much for the invitation to share in
1: conversation.
2: Uh,
1: So good to see you and so good to have you here. Uh, We were just, your lead in is just the two of us gushing about you, just being like, I love her so much. (laughs) (laughs) You all too. It's always a good time. Always a good time. Amen.
0: Delesslin for those of uh, our listeners and viewers who are not yet in the Delesslin Kennebrew Fan Club, can you please tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and why you're here?
2: Wow. Well, greetings, everyone. Um, I am Dr. DeLesslin Kennebrew. I currently serve as a regional minister um, for ministry innovation within the Christian Church Disciples of Christ in the greater Kansas City region. <laughs> um, I give leadership to church planting, congregational transformation, innovation, and church affiliation. Um, my heart um, is for church leaders, especially, to lead the church well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do feel called to be a pastor to pastors. And so I definitely have a heart for leaders. And um, and I'm always thinking about what's next for the church. You know, how are we, you know, discerning and deciding um, and developing um, what's next. So that's a little bit about me.
1: It uh, yes, and I have experienced all of those gifts in you, and I am grateful for people who are called to pastor pastors, yeah. um, because I think that we forget that part of the, the 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 process is that you go through the you go through the educational line, you get ordained, you serve in a church, but then. Uh, What a lot of people, I think, forget and don't realize is that when you're planning worship, sometimes you can't be fully present in the worshipful mode because you're working, you're doing things, you know, you and God are doing something together. So it's not necessarily that that moment of settled kind of um, faith development and connection. And so to have people that are called to pastor to pastors, I think, is such a, a beautiful gift for the church. So thank you.
2: Thank you. And I, you know, and I think it's also, it is that piece, but it is also pastors are people too. And so it is the piece about life. Outside of the pulpit, you know, as pastors continue to be, you know, spouses and partners and parents and um students, um, um, and politicians and whatever else, you know, um teachers, um, or what have you, wherever they may find themselves beyond the pulpit, and also it is Um, Their internal life of, you know, who is God calling me to be now? I know I'm here, but what what may be next for me and my own discernment? So,
1: yes. Oh, I love that. Um so we're talking today uh it obviously uh we let you choose the choose the topic and we're very excited about it but master on Amazon Prime. Uh can you give our listeners our deuces a little bit about why you chose it maybe a little bit about what it's about? We'll we'll get into it and give a longer detailed thing but why did you why did you bring this to us? Why, why is this an important piece because I agree that it's an important piece to talk about. Um but but why in your opinion uh should the church be Paying attention to this. I think that I think one
2: of the reasons why I wanted to have a conversation um, about the movie Master is because it presents the layers um of, of topics, of emotion, of feelings, of thoughts um around race and racism. Um, in a way that we often neglect to discuss. Um, I also think because it centers Black women um, in the movie um, at different stages and ages, and even those who want to be Black (laughs) Um, in the movie, um, which is a whole nother identity piece, and, and 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 what it what it has meant for black women to um not just be women but to be black women you know and so um so i think that 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 is important and then just the the, the faith aspect um i think it's important for us to um to acknowledge that um there is still um There is sin in the world that pervades our consciousness and our culture um, that is harmful and that will not go away because you march about it. That will not go away just because you raise a sign or wear a cute T-shirt or preach one sermon on one Sunday during Black History Month. And so, um, yeah, so those are a few things. (laughs) Not to jump right in, but yeah.
0: A word to our uh, listeners. Buckle up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey, deuces. Buckle up because we are in it. I'm I'm so excited.
0: Hey, why wouldn't you stop and watch everything by Regina Hall, including Master, which is on there right now. You may want to watch it for the sake of this. Um, and okay, so let's talk about allegorical horror. Like, what's the really scary part of this movie?
2: <laughs> you know, the scary part of this movie is I think that For me, the scary part is that it is my life. Mm. So while there were definitely parts that were teetering between reality and like emotional instability and um, the dream world and the consciousness beyond um, 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 her her awakened consciousness and then her sleep consciousness or whatever you like, I think... The reality of it is it is how I live. You live between these worlds of, of people um seeing that you're black and knowing that you're black and wrestling with that. Even as um, even though she, for example, like even Regina Hall, who is the lead in the movie, um she, the name of the movie is Master. And she in the movie is the first. African-American, and I'll say woman because she's the first African-American, but she's also the first African-American woman, um, in the position of master in this master's house. Um, And it's a tradition at this college um, or what have you, where she basically is kind of like a dean of students, dean of students, I would say, is probably what you might think of it as, but just the... um, just the whole idea that she is the master of the campus um, but but still not fully um, acknowledged as such in a way, you know, um, 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 by the students or the faculty. Um, Very clear um, that there is tokenism there, there is um, racism because you still, yeah, you may have the title, but you still need to know your place, mm-hmm. um, as well. Um,
1: yeah.
0: Do we, do we start calling you Barack now? Yeah. Oh, was just one of the worst lines in that.
1: Yes, it, I mean there was a lot like, and it, And thank you for sharing that, Dawson. Because I think and in, in how at least when in in my viewing of it, right? Like the what's scary about it, Arthur, is a really interesting question because I think it's. It's gonna be different for each of us because for me, what I found scary was the pervasiveness of whiteness. and as a white woman, fearful and knowing in my own work that I am this uh, this harmful and presence that is that I am sneaking up in ways that I don't know. And my job in in this work is to recognize when I when and where I can to listen and hear the stories of others of where I have been and am. Uh, currently living into uh, you know white supremacy and white spaces and how do I pull that back? How do I uh, it, not pull it back, but how do I deconstruct and get rid of it, and so that I am not lurking in corners, uh, or you know around every corner, so I'm not ringing bells uh, in, in the space because just the home itself so for me that was one of the scarier parts is just how am I how it you know because I the like maggots the, yeah, <laughs> the maggots all exactly right like that the maggots of white supremacy are coming out of the literal walls and things and yes. how am I as a person contributing to that Am I and am I doing the work of actively deconstructing work? because that's what I am trying to do I'm trying to be yeah. actively anti-racist it's not just that I yeah we all
2: you got it. Yeah, yeah, but I think I think also, Stephanie, it is, um, it is also even just as um, an African American um, woman, and I see like the student Jasmine, who who in some ways can't see, yeah, the racism um, when it is not centered on Black people as well. So when she's invited to write a paper. Um. Um. On, uh, I think it was a Scarlet Letter, um, uh, yeah. and to you know to expound upon the racist elements, and it is the the her her white classmate who was like, "Oh, this was easy. You didn't you didn't get this. I got a B plus on this paper. This is it was so easy, you know." Um. And Jaz was like, "There is no racism in this in this in this uh work or what have you." And um. So yeah. So it's also. The reality that racism, it can be so embedded that you don't see it. Even as an African-American person, sometimes you can miss um, the racism, not just uh, that is blatantly against African-Americans, but also against other uh, people of color um, or what have you. So, yeah. And that can be scary, you know, because. I mean, yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, it's a, it's a perpetuation of the system. Yeah. Um, the system, because it is tenacious, does not mean it is worthy. Um, just the very fact that we're going to continue the title master. We know it's problematic. We know it's been problematic always, but it's problematic in 1866. It's problematic in 1966. It's problematic today, mm, but mm. because it's been there, um I I, I joke that I'm the Kansas region iconoclast. Um, I don't care about what their traditions are. I don't care what they've always done. And I Mm. think golden calves make the best hamburgers Mm. um, or golden hamburgers from golden calves. But at the same time too, I recognize my place as a white man that I'm going in there and saying, well, I don't care about your traditions or anything else. Change has to be affected, but I think it has to be affected in concert in order for there to be anything in there. I'm sorry, the, the master thing just made me remarkably uncomfortable and then the uh the room um
2: which one <laughs> or, yeah, no,
0: no, louisa Weeks? <laughs> the
2: dorm room
0: i'm looking up names jasmine was in 302 yes it was the same room as uh the uh, louisa weeks who committed suicide by, yes. by him. Um, why wasn't there a little bit more consciousness of perhaps not putting uh, a <laughs> like or was there consciousness in it, and and that's the pervasiveness of the system. If the system's yeah. broken, but it benefits the people in power, why not just keep doing the system?
2: Right, because remember in the at the new student orientation, the lie. students knew absolutely that that was like the the scary room, if you will, and uh, they were like, oh, she has the room, but right. they never tell her. What happened in the room or what was, you know, she kind of discovered that later on. But um, but it, it, the fact that you can be in a position to know that this space, this place, these people um, can be hurtful and harmful to you, your person, your humanity, and you will still um, um, allow people to walk into spaces that are not safe.
1: Eight white supremacy does not set up uh, you know, at particularly black and brown people, but like kind of anyone for success, right? Mm-hmm. And she she's you've got eight black kids on or African American students on 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 campus, I think is what the number when she gets handed in the bathroom. Yes. And so and you're saying of all those students, it, you pick one of the eight to place in a place in a room in which you know to be harmful. Like that's just and, and you want to, it's going to be under the guise of, well, she's got a white, we put a white woman in there too, you know, and it's like, it's okay. It's like, there's no thought for the uh, flourishing, not just the acceptance, right. but the actual flourishing for black and brown people, but particularly black and brown women um, in white, in fully white spaces and as academia, it tends to be. Yeah, and you know, and the other
2: piece with that, you know, meeting in the in the bathroom. So there's something, first of all, just about women. You know, when we go to the bathroom in groups, you know, it's gonna happen. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. You know, we come to the, you know, girl, come with me, girl. You know, check my makeup. You know, what have you for whatever reason, you know. Um, But it's something. It's also something when Black women come together and when. Um, when they were having that conversation, first of all, what I noticed was it was an hour into the movie before she had a conversation with a peer who was an African-American. Yeah. It was like an hour into the movie. And so one of those, one that to me just, it spoke volumes, but it was also the reality that, look, racism didn't just start in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Like this has been going on for hundreds of years. Hundreds of years. Like our country was founded, mm-hmm. you know, with racism and um and, and and in the presence of racism. And so um and so like it so it was just a reminder of how you can like just how long you can go without even acknowledging how, um, you know, the, the necessity that um, for community uh, that African-Americans need. Um, and then when the the two white girls walked into the bathroom, it was almost as if they were inter... Well, they were, but they, it was like they were interrupting something that should not have been happening. Mm. Yeah. Because they because the black women immediately the, the students they immediately felt an awkwardness, and I felt it because I felt that before where I could be in a group of um people who look like me and who get it, and then someone who is different walks up, and you know, in some way, you either have to adjust, be quiet. <laughs> Figure it's, out what they want to talk about, you know, and that's kind of how it felt. Um, in the movie, go
0: ahead. It's it's code switching, but it's it's not. It's it's room reading. Um, yeah. I always say, as a as a gay man in Kansas, I know if I can say husband, spouse, or partner mm. when I'm talking to any group of people. I know how to downplay my non traditional mm. family if it's a space in which I'm not safe. I know it intrinsically. I know it immediately. Yeah. I also know threes on the Enneagram can walk into a room and immediately read the whole damn thing and become, and like, but I think that's something, I think that's something people learn in the minority that then has to, and space is such a thing in this movie where, where the space of the black women is not acknowledged and it's not protected and it's not, it's, it's very interesting to see how proximity works in this movie and uh, in such a, it's discomforting.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It is. I mean, it really is. (laughs) It's a dark movie, like everything about the movie is dark, you know, except for orientation when they're outside and it's a sunny day. But, you know, pretty much everything about the movie is dark and grim and heavy, um, which I believe is the piece that we often forget to acknowledge when it comes to racism. You know, we forget how heavy it is. Um, And I can admit, I have, I've gone through like the anti-racism classes that our denomination provides and done the training of the trainers. Um, But I still don't feel comfortable um, like training people on how to do what Jesus told you to do. Mm -hmm. You know, like the Lord has said, you ought to love me, period. Like, you know what I mean? And, um, and so... So, so, so when, you know, so when you watch this movie and it really does, I mean, it was so much that I think about, um, that, like I wrote down one, um, cause I was, I took a few notes or whatever, cause I watched it. I wanted, I watched it again. Um, but there were so many things like I wrote down how um it was a challenge to open doors um at the beginning of the film it was she was the first black master the black girl had to pay for the pizza there was a questioning of the um women's uh, um intelligence and in integrity um even the statement i appreciated in the movie um she said whiteness does not have to be the default
1: hmm
2: and I think too often, you know, that's that's kind of, that's what we lean into because we want to consider the master's um, comfort.
1: Ooh. Well, and that was uh, when they're in the meeting, talking before the tenure meeting, but talking about the tenure yes. meeting and yes. they're like, oh, G- Gail Bishop is uh, Regina Hall. And they're like, yes. we really needed you to say that. Like they, yes. they, they, they utilized their whiteness as the kind of maneuvering tool of her blackness yes. Uh, yes. to manipulate her in that space, to be against another yes. black woman or at that yes. point black woman. Yes. that that I know. I don't even know, honestly, if that's my place to, I mean, it's a part of the, yeah. the narrative, but I'm like, as yeah. a white woman, I don't know that that's my place to even be engaged at all. But I was, I was really uncomfortable in that as well because it's like- yeah. we, if we're going to talk about how do we hold people accountable, and I wonder if in your experience as a regional minister, you know yeah. what does it look like for accountability, but also to hold, know, n- and intention—the fact that the system wasn't built for certain certain among us—and yeah. yeah. so, but they still need to be held accountable. And so, how do you do that? Um, yeah.
2: So, yeah. like, what are the questions that? Um, well, two things. Um, When I did lead a clergy conversation on race, one of the things I said, let's be clear, most of the congregations that I am invited to preach in are predominantly white, you know, and there there may or may not be a a chance of me finding or seeing someone who looks like me when I walk into your church. So let's be clear, before I walk, before I drive up, I'm paying attention to where I park when I come to your church. Yeah. I need to be able to park where I don't have to back out and get blocked in. I park where any church I visit, I park where I can get out the parking lot. I know where the exits are. I Most of the time I don't go to the bathroom because <laughs> I don't know y'all. I just come, I come, I preach the word. I do exactly what you asked me to do. And that is it. I don't try to leave any other aspects of the service unless I'm invited to, you know what I mean? I don't have extra commentary um, and things like that. And especially like when I first, I'm a little more comfortable now, but like when I first got here, I didn't know anybody. I know a few people, but I wasn't familiar with the congregations and where they are. And people are in different places politically. So I told my mama, I said, honey, you ain't going to hear no Black Lives Matter out of me. And, you know, because I'm the only one in the room. And I don't know what might be meeting me when I come out that pulpit in the parking lot, you know? And so, so, so there's that piece. Um, And and, and the other piece I shared with them, just even asking, when is the last time you had a person of color preach in your pulpit? Mm -hmm. Not me, but when is the last time you reached out to a person of color to preach in your pulpit? Just that gesture alone makes
1: a difference absolutely
0: you know um it's it's been a fascinating thing of serving a very white congregation in a very white city in a very white state um the discussion of racism is honestly it's written off as a well that doesn't really affect us and it's like but it does because if you don't see the water you're swimming in you can't see that you're swimming in this water um it's, it's been a fascinating thing having a daughter who is of mixed heritage and is far too beautiful to have been biologically related to me um, and how she navigates that water and how um, like there was an incident where a white boy used an epitaph uh, against my daughter and the principal was shocked that I said, I want this kid suspended. I want to talk to his parents. We are incredibly upset about this. And this is your only warning before I show up with a news crew and a clergy caller. Um, <laughs> yay. Uh, it's, and my daughter was like, well, what's the big deal? I said, no, people don't get to use that word. They, they do not get to use that word with you. It's, it's not, and it's, it's fascinating to watch. It's fascinating to watch my daughter where she says, well, uh, where I said, you know, we've had to talk about what it means to present as Black as opposed to present as White and how people of mixed heritage uh, or mixed race, like ultimately she's going to be identified by people no matter how she identifies and everything else. Can we talk about live for a second? Stephanie, you alluded to it or to her um, and I want to make sure our listeners and viewers who may not have seen this movie, Liv is a professor who is very light-skinned and one of the plots in the, one of the plot points in the movie is that she may be white she may be of mixed heritage she may be black or she may be white identifying as black or uh, this and that and it's left ambiguous on purpose
1: she's also been for what it's worth and i this was something that i that really pained me in the whole thing live is uh gail's only other black colleague uh for you know seven eighths of the movie because this plot twist happens at the very end at the very at the very end and um and she shows up for her in really meaningful ways as another black woman and one of those things and I will name early on I was like there is something different about the way in which they both present as a white woman you just kind of notice there's some there's some language things that Liv uses that you're like that seems as someone who lives in a predominantly black space, uh, right now and black and brown space, uh, there's just some words and how she said it that made me go, huh, that doesn't seem necessarily as someone who is, uh, well, it just, it seemed a little off. I just want to name it that way. And so, um, but the pain that, um, that Gail feels in this betrayal or as she kind of feels it, it felt very much, um, like a pastor losing their pastor, like having to reconcile because someone, and I don't know if I'm reading too much into that, um, but it felt very much, you've seen Liv show up for Gail in lots of different ways and vice versa. And then all of a sudden to have this thing happen in which it changes their relationship so drastically, so quickly um, that it just, that pained me for Gail um, as I think about congregations who lose the person that they have gone to for guidance and help and support and care. Um, and so I'm curious, Leslin, about your uh, thoughts on, on just that, but also as a, as a pastor's pastor, what does it look like for churches to uh, lose that person? Um, and is there something that this movie teaches us about how we can do that well? It's so
2: interesting because actually, just yesterday, I led um, a congregation through the covenant of closure because their pastor is uh, retiring. <laughs> so, just yesterday, um, I was kind of in that space of acknowledging the work and the ministry, and the leadership of this pastor to a congregation who is now without a pastor. Um, and um, and when I was reading part of the Covenant of Closure, um, it is very clear, basically, about the boundaries that are now in effect immediately. Um, basically, at the close of the service, this person is no longer your pastor, this person is no longer available for you to call, for you to make hospital visits, to do weddings, funerals, or any of those life events that you anticipated that they would be available for. Um, and so, so yeah, so um, losing that pastor relationship um, is detrimental to people. Um, people cry. It is painful. It is a transition. Um, you've shared, you know, your life with this person. They have been there for you know, in sickness and in health, and was hoping to death did you part, like you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, in the good times and the bad times, you know, and so um, so it's hard. Transition is hard. But then when you learn about a part of the identity of this person whom you've trusted. Uh, Whether it's your pastor or not, you learn an aspect of the identity of a person that you trusted that is not who they say they are. That is painful. Yeah. I have come to you because I thought we could connect and relate as Black women. Mm -hmm. And now I'm shocked and devastated to find out that you are not who you said you are. You know, and I think that's part. I think that's part of the struggle. You know, like that you that you were raising, um, Stephanie. Like that, um, um, and it's not that those those moments weren't meaningful. It, it's not that. Yeah, it's just that now I'm learning a part of you that you held back from me after I have shared, you know, and been vulnerable with you. Go ahead, Arthur, I see you try to say no, something.
0: I'm I'm not trying to interrupt you, and I beg your pardon. I'm so excited about this, and, and my question <laughs> is related to this: Is live the ghost, or the 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 black coated? Because she puts on the black coat at the end of the movie,
2: uh, and.
0: You, you, you. Right, and I mean, this is all allegory. So what does it mean for the character who is, who is ambiguous to also be the one who's upholding the institutional problem the most?
2: Well, and the thing of it is, what, one of the things she says in the movie is, because um, she tells Gail, she said, you have always belonged. Mm-hmm. And then she says, you know, but I've never f- had a place to belong until now. I have been searching. She even calls herself an orphan at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> she calls herself an orphan. Um, and when she slips and says that, oh, my brother, yeah. you know, and then Dale was like, wait a second. You say you are only child because they connected on that point earlier yeah. in the movie that, they, that she was an only child. And then she was like, oh no, I feel, I feel like I'm alone in the world, you know, kind of thing, you know. And then later on, she talks about, um, um, the belonging piece. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think that as far as the ghosts, I think, you know, when we think about ghosts, ghosts are, these, um, are supposed to be scary. Um, and, 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 um, we are not warned about their presence. Um, we do not have access to their agenda, Um, we do not even know exactly what their purpose is, you know, for being present, um, in our lives, um, or what have you. And so I do think that, um, I can see, I can see, I don't know if she was the ghost, but I think that she was ghostly, Mm -hmm. um, in her identity. And I think that there are people who are ghostly. They show up, um, uninvited, you know, but, you know, they show up and they are scary, they show up um, with an agenda that you do not know, um, but it's usually not for your good. You know, it's not like cast for the friendly ghosts. You know, that ain't what we talking about, honey. <laughs> and um, so, yeah. So I think that there are ghosts, and the reality of it is, I think that there are um, there are ghosts, but I think that there are also spirits um, that linger. Um, And I think that that was I think there was definitely like this undercurrent of one of the things I think about that is definitely deeply rooted in um, in black culture is the idea of honoring the ancestors. Um, And so like there were moments in the movie where I was like, oh, my gosh, it just felt like ancestors crying from their graves, like, you know, get out. You know what I mean? Like you, you do not, Jasmine, you do not have to stay here. Mm. You do not have to stay here. You know, go, y- yeah, you, yeah, you got in, whatever, but get out. You know, I am raising up in order to, to speak to you, to do, to go a different way.
1: Ooh, yes. And
0: that's the And that's place, right? Because place has to be mutually agreed upon. Mm. Uh, otherwise it doesn't happen. And place, is implied through this movie and that's coming back around to the proximity thing um, there's a difference between surviving and thriving and the expectation is fighting to survive as opposed to being equipped to thrive but if you ask the people who are putting particularly the women of color into the situation uh that they are they have to fight to survive. And then if they have any time or room or space or uh, energy left, they can certainly equip themselves to thrive, but not in such a way that it threatens the mediocrity of white men. <laughs> um,
2: yes. Yeah. Yes. And look, because one, one, of the lines in the movie, um, um, she says, I thought survival was the prize. Yeah. So, you know, and at what cost?
1: Oof. yes. Our yeah, in, because, you know, is Jasmine actually, th- you know, surviving? Of course, you know, is Gail, is lit, like all of them, are they, you know, just because they're alive does not mean that they have survived in a way. But, you know, but, the, but sometimes to be alive mm-hmm. is
2: in of itself the survival. The question, I think the next question is are you flourishing? Yeah. In the fullness of who you are, mm-hmm. are you flourishing? Are you able to fully live out all that God is calling for you to do and to be in this space? Now you know, because sometimes showing up is survival. I showed up. yeah, I'm breathing, I'm here. you know what I'm saying but the but the next question I think is is the challenging is, are you flourishing because they were there. But I don't think anyone, either either of them were flourishing.
0: And a black woman in a role and office that is master will not do it the same way that white men do it. Never. Doing it differently does not mean doing it incorrectly. Right. That's that's the i know you know that i know spiff knows that i know i know that i'm saying that for our listeners whose minds may have melted through this conversation so far <laughs> I I,
1: I, I, you know but even white. Like, she's not gonna do it the same way as white women right we need to right need to make sure that we name that like just because the and i both identify as women we will come to scripture leadership whatever what, yeah. god just yeah. differently yeah. um yeah. and And we and and we need both of those perspectives to see a bit more of the fullness, because, again, making space for others does not decrease your own space. Um, And so and that's where all of this is lost. You know, they did not create space for Gail's flourishing. Um, They, you know, here's a home in which you can live. Right. That's maggot infested, maggot infested. Uh, and you're alive per se, but it's not like the bells, the, the soundtrack of this movie I found to be really interesting at the very beginning, you get the drums, it, it beats you in, you're like, okay, there's a tempo that is set for this entire thing. And then it's punctuated by these bells every once in a while, um, while Gail is in the house. And it was one of the things that I wanted to bring to this, to this conversation, which is you know, so those bells were clearly in the, you know, the quarters of those that served the home, right? It's, it, they weren't for anything other than, you know, they had uh, people that worked in their homes. And this was how, you know, the white masters, you know, rang for them. And she started hearing these bells in a house alone, you know, and it's like, so she's be Go
2: ahead, go ahead.
1: Oh, so she's, you know, she's both being summoned. Her line of like, I'm not the master, you know, at the very end. But, you know, thinking of the church, I was like, what are the bells that we have left up in our churches uh, for historical reasons, for its tradition? And we don't want to disrupt that, Mm -hmm. but that have that continue to ring to our black and brown and queer and just marginalized uh, siblings that say that are a constant reminder of this was not built for you.
2: Right. And I mean, that's exactly what I wanted to say. You know, the reality is those bells and even that party and the decoration of that house was a reminder that this is not your home. No, this this is not your home. We are allowing you to be here. We are allowing you to be here, and I think that is the question for the church. In what ways are we just allowing people to hold space? You know, to hold office, to hold position, um, to be your pastor. You know, in what ways are we? And 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 how does that add that type of attitude and that perspective um, um, insult? You know, or dismiss the humanity of the people that you are, quote unquote, allowing. Um, to be in those spaces um, or what have you so yeah that's I mean I think that's real I think bells are going off every time um, certain votes happen I think bells are going off every time certain sermons are preached every time certain bible studies are led every time um, a certain financial decisions um are you know are made and the way that those resources are allocated I think that there are certain bells that are going off um, around race around gender around sexual orientation I think there are bills going off even as it relates to next generation and children and youth and young adults um um yeah so I think bills are going off all all the time all the time um and uh what what Arthur, what are you <laughs> I, I was
0: just thinking I missed church a few weeks ago because my husband was really sick and now I've made up for it this is great <laughs> and I'm not trying to interrupt I, like I, I literally was just thinking, this is a word, and yes. I, my heart's overflowing a little. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you
1: know I. I, I, serve the, and I, I serve the church, uh, Park Avenue Christian church was the oldest continuously worshiping church in our denomination. And we have the original register of like who was in those official, you know, those first meetings, wow. small gatherings, and they're all old white settlers and yeah. we hang them on the wall. And we are currently served by the, the park's first black woman, um, and first woman pastor. And it's, it's, one of those things where it's like one day we just took them off the wall because it felt a lot like those bells that said like, mm. you're a part of this history, but in a really specific way in that you weren't allowed to be here. Yeah. Um, or like the bells for um Gail in her home. It's not that they forgot. It's that they recognize that those bells are a part of actually her history and, and history within that home, you know, like her ancestors, history within that home. And they were very intentionally made for her um, and then left there because they associate them with her in their whiteness. Um, and she just hears like they were just bells of white supremacy every time they rang. Yeah. Um, yeah.
2: and- oh, boy, I'm sorry. Go. No, and
1: I was just the church is wrought with bells of white supremacy in our spaces.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And what does it mean for us to acknowledge the clutter um, in these spaces and not do anything about it? Because there was no point in the movie where she started taking things off the walls, yes. removing the statues, removing the bales. Like there was no point in the movie where she began to take those things out herself or where anyone else joined with her and or raised the question. To say, hey, why don't you
1: <laughs> remove these things? She's supposed to be grateful. She's supposed to be grateful that she's yes. a part of this history. And I'm curious for, but you know, like, Arthur, I'm assuming that you're the first uh, openly gay pastor at your church. And, and I'm sure that there are, in, in, in a similar realm, ways in which you are expected to be grateful that they have taken this giving you this call, taking this chance or whatever it invited you into their history in a way that is meant to be like, well, look at them. Look at how it's meant to, to lift uh the others up and maybe not say, your gifts that God has given you make us better because you have diversified and well, given us a new understanding of how the how God is at work.
0: Well there's there's I, I don't think we've touched on it yet. There's also the whole model minority thing that is is ultimately the challenge in it right if you're the if you're the pioneer in the uh if you're, right okay so we have nods of agreement i'm not yeah oh but,
1: that thing was right in the middle of the movie you get a, a promo for uh Ancaster that that is just like look at how great we are and it uh, set against the movie that is just killing people in body and spirit right oh my goodness yeah and like
2: and then there was a moment like to that point where Where Gail tells Jasmine after Jasmine goes to the hospital that, you know, that first time and she's in the hospital. And she basically is like, you know, I survived, so you can too. And she said, and she tells her, because I I wrote this out because I was like, oh, this is a good quote. She said, you can't quit. It's not a ghost. It's not supernatural. It's America. Mm -hmm. It's everywhere. You can't get away from it. It follows
0: you. Yep. So, a few weeks ago, I'm I'm not going to give away the fact that we pre-record with our guests sometimes, uh, and I, it, our timeline is murky. But a few weeks ago, I think it was the Lieutenant Governor of Texas uh, at CPAC suggested that the Constitution was not written by aristocratic twenty-somethings uh, in Philadelphia, but rather that God penned the Constitution. And one of America. my favorite womanist scholars said, God did not write the three-fifths compromise, right. simply. And right. I think I, I've just held on to that for, we, we've never addressed as a nation, we've tried, and people have been voicing it and voicing it and voicing it, but we, are, I don't even know how, I don't know how the church could become pioneers and actually naming and dismantling and I mean, the church is a an institution, not congregations, which do work and it's good. I, I don't I don't even know what to do with America chasing uh, you and me and us in very different ways and yeah. far less me. Please note.
2: Yeah. I th- well, I think part of it is just the acknowledgement that. <laughs> we got some skeletons in our closet mm-hmm. and these skeletons and and and. And while sometimes we want to, uh, we will say, we will say, "Oh, that's racist." Oh, that's you know whatever some other ism. Um, but we will still hold it in place because it privileges.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It's real comfortable. Certain folks to hold it in place.
1: Uh, it's, uh, which is why people can
2: preach about you you can preach about racism all day or preach against racism all day long you can be oh i'm anti-racist da, 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 da. you know and oh you know i am you know we you shouldn't be discriminatory we shouldn't be oppressive da, 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 da. but i want to check who 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 are you inviting out to lunch out to dinner who do you work with? Who are you allowed to preach in your pulpits? Like very practical things. I had a church one time tell me, oh, we, you know, we believe in diversity. We believe in multiculturalism. And we just wish people would just come, you know, and, and I let the lady talk and she went on and on singing their praises. And I listened and when she finished, I said, well. When I came here to preach just a few weeks ago, I didn't see anybody that looked like me. I didn't see one. I didn't see anybody that looked like me. I didn't see, um, I said, there may have been one girl and she was probably fostered, adopted or something. Um, But there were no people of color in that space when I visited last Sunday. Now there may have been some, maybe somebody was absent. I said, and the other people, if that truly is a priority of this board, then you need to have some kind of representation of that priority on this board.
0: Right. Saying our building is open from these hours. And if you come to us and act the way that we do and pretty much become this outlier in our community, you're totally welcome. Right.
1: You've and got to invest in the people that you want to come invest in you. And right,
0: like exactly. so you, and you, investment is sacrifice. Investment is discomfort. Investment is taking a risk. And
1: well,
2: and so is love. Mm -hmm.
0: Damn, that's the word.
2: And so is love. Like Jesus, Jesus already told us what to do. You know what I'm saying? We uh, we add all kind of pretty words and fancy words from the academy, you know, from different scholars. But at the end of the day, we are called, we are commanded,
1: commanded Hmm. to love. Period. Amen. And love is going to take all sorts of, like... Yes. We have people, it's gonna take all sorts and all types and and you have to start somewhere. And that I think is at least in some of the work that in people that I've been engaged with, they're very hesitant for the first step. Um, and I want to be like, don't be hesitant of the first step. It, you know, like if anything, you got to be hesitant of maybe like the 29th step because you you have so much, you have so many ways to go. But the first step is to try, you know, the one of the best tools, at least in my whiteness that I like to. Encourage others to get comfortable with is the apology. Just because you're gonna miss step, but if you're gonna do this work, if you can believe in anti racism work all, all you want, but if you haven't lived it, if you aren't living it in practice in your community, right. it, it 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 doesn't do any good, right? Like right, right. And so you've got to you've got to get in there, and you're gonna miss step, and you're you've got to learn to apologize authentically and keep going. You've got to learn to keep going through the discomfort, yeah. um, and that is both hard and very simple and very go ahead go ahead go ahead no and it's got you know it, we do have the commandment from god are I love your you know when it was like it, god did not pen the constitution no because god does not write god's own oppression so of course god is not writing the three-fifths compromise like that's out of this world insane yeah and so god's not writing god's own oppression and if the god resides in every single one of us we are not meant to live in these marginalized oppressed lives we're meant to live and in liberative spaces we've just got to actually take that first step and 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 be in community to do so and to help others um and to help others live into their own liberation by making sure we aren't oppressing them not by saying here's how you can do it in our space but by saying what do you need for your own liberation in which i need to step back or i need to do something of my own work.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I appreciate you saying that, that last question, because I think that's part of it. I think, um, being bold and courageous enough, um, and humble enough to ask questions, to ask questions, not just of your, of, of, of black people, but of all people just ask, questions, you know, why just help me to understand, you know, what, what you meant by that. Help me to understand why you said that. Help me to understand why you interpret it this way. Help me to understand. Um, I think, um, will, will help move the conversation at least, um, a little further down the road.
1: Well, and I think even you—you you brought it up in, in, in this got brought up in our Simpsons episode a couple of weeks ago when okay. they were leaving church, uh, and Marge is stuck in the parking lot by herself, and there's a blizzard, and she's just the last one there. And you saying, you know, like you come, you 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 take notice of where you parked, you don't use the restroom, like so you're showing up in a space to deliver God's word and aren't even tending to your own humanness in ways that you may need, right? Like it could be really harmful to your body in lots of different ways, and so making sure that our churches are asking Delesslin, we would love for you to come preach. What do you, what do you need uh, to make sure that you can bring the word of God, feel comfortable, feel safe, you know, all the things, what does safety look like to you is a question that I love to ask congregations um, because it is very different for each of us as a woman. I too look at where I park. I'm also never, I will never be in a parking lot with just one other car. Mm. Like, uh, and I won't park next to it. I will give myself space. I will hold my keys. You know, like we just the things that as women. We are taught, right. you know, I'm Agreed. a white woman and I have all sorts Agreed. of then my black and brown sisters who have that same yeah. uh, concerns, but on an exponential level. Um, and my male friends are often like, what do you mean you take, a, you know, I just park in the, the closest or the open parking lot. I was like, no, no, if there's an open parking lot, I am parking next to the, the closest one to the door. I am in, I am out. I am not making contact. eye contact with other people because that is where we are unsafe. I mean, yeah. and, and you know what, I, I've, I've even,
2: <laughs> um, now I, I do this almost everywhere, but like in particular, I started it when I became a regional minister and I was visiting. And even if I wasn't preaching, like I would, I will intentionally walk all the way to the front and sit on like the second or third row. Cause you know what I mean? Like I, you know, I, I don't want to hide out in the back. I I I want everybody to see that I'm here because if, if something happens, everybody can see that something is happening. You know? <laughs>
1: yeah. I th- it also taught me to like, uh, to learn. Um, I went to a church one time when I was really early in my faith and I sat at the end uh, of the pew because I wasn't sure if it was going to be a safe church so that I could leave very quickly. So now I'm also, as a pastor, I notice who's sitting on the aisles in the back and I yeah. notice who comes to the front because uh i have not proven to them that this is a safe place for them right. then they may need to to leave in a hurry or they ne- may need to feel very seen to feel safe and all of those things and it's yeah. one of uh the gifts that uh my friends from across the or around the world have given me to say this is what i need to feel safe and seen um and called into this community in a way that feels equitable and just um, and it's a question that we forget to ask when we get comfortable with certain people. And we say that, you know, we start to homogenize certain groups of people and say, Oh, well, but we know Deless Lynn and she's fine with coming here. Why wouldn't you, you know, other person be fine coming here. And uh, you know, it's a, it's why we need to ask pronouns to every person, even when we're, you know, in, in continued community, why we need to ask what makes you feel safe. How is God at work in your life? What do you need from us? And yeah, and that was, I think, one
2: of the one of the um, I wrote the challenge of contradictions because as much as even as Jasmine was sitting in the hospital bed, Gail was like, Don't leave. Yes. Jasmine said, I want to go, I want to leave, but Gail was like, stay. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes, you know. We, I mean, it's it's a contradiction because like you want people to be strong, you know, and you want people, look, you don't let them win kind of thing. But at the same time, I have to love you enough for you to honor your safety, honor your humanity in a way that is different from mine.
0: Believe people when they say what they need and who they are.
1: Yes, yes oh yes this is uh well for the sake of time i'm so sorry but we we're gonna have to move on to our final question but i mean I, just, I know no! guys, we could have this we just scratched the surface of this movie we could have this conversation all day my friend um yes yes but the reverend doctor dustlin kennebrew it is just you're you know you're one of our favorite people for a reason this is,
0: this is one of my best. top 10 favorite people on the planet i was saying oh. that when you were in the waiting room like
1: I love y'all too. We're so grateful that you are here and sharing your time with us. Um, As you know, our our final question is always one of the same. And what is the biblical theme, narrative, character, verse, whatever that you are most reminded of in Amazon Prime's master? Mm.
2: Mm. When Jesus is on the cross and he says, my God, my God, Mm. why? Have you forsaken
0: me?
2: Um, And I would probably even say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken us? Mm -hmm. I think in so many ways people feel forsaken because every day we have to navigate these waters of... Racism, systemic racism, embedded racism, oppression um, in all of its forms, um, microaggressions, macroaggressions. Um, and there are moments where we, in our humanity, I think that's the thing that Jesus is asking my God. Why have you forsaken me? You call, you created me, and you placed me in this space, in this place, at this time with these people um, for such a time as this. And I do feel called to do this work. At the same time, the challenge of contradictions, I feel forsaken. Mm. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Arthur. Oh, that's good.
0: I'm going for the book of Acts. There's the story of the seven sons of Svecca. And the seven sons of Svecca, uh go into a house that is possessed. And they believe they have the magic words. And they say, by the name of Jesus Christ and the apostle Paul, we cast you out of this house. And it's one of my favorite stories because the demon goes, well, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I know. I know. Who are you? Well, who are you? And the and next line is, and they were chased out of the house naked and beaten. And I just it just reminds me of that it's mm. it's who are you to come into this house like who mm. is it you are who you are or you are who we say you are
1: yeah mm. mine's a little more i think uh, a one-to-one comparison but at the very beginning of the movie um the gail talks to them all and is like the thing is is that you cannot like you have been this experience is changing you have moved out of your house you cannot go home welcome home and this is there so i'm gonna go with the john four um which is you know no profit is welcome in their own home because there's something that changes each and every one of us through experience through relationship through you know all of it and uh jasmine is it's changed not in just like the bad ways but in the She has moved away from her family. She has moved all the things that happen to us in relationship and experience that irrevocably change us. Um, And you are not the same. You cannot go home because that home is no longer yours because you are not the same. And so I'm going to go with, that uh it's also in luke there's the you know no no prophet is welcome you know you can't go home so mark what
0: 2. i just preached oh
1: it's that. also in mark too yeah, yeah so it's i mean it's all over the gospel you can't go home but i think what it's really telling us is to recognize how you have changed it's not that you can't go back to the place it's that you have been changed and so um when you go back recognize that that change has happened
2: yeah
0: yeah well Delesslin, it's an honor, it's a privilege, it's a joy, it's a gift for you to come on -on two-on-one, and we thank you very much. Uh, Friends, this is a reminder that we are back and we are celebrating all of our contributors who have uh, contributed to Are You Still Watching? Using Pop Culture to Tune In, Find God, and Get Renewed for Another Season. I thought it was so clever, and now I'm like, why is the title so long? Anyways, it's out from Chalice Press, October 25. You can pre-order it. Additionally... Go to jeff buy all the stalls buy everything sell them out make them make him work like crazy it'll be great you can go to jeff and use our promo code on at checkout uh
1: yes uh, I'm I'm in, uh, sorry I'm in a, just a space of like I could talk to de forever about this like yeah. I, I I'm all riled up now like good luck anyone else for me today uh
0: okay. <laughs> I, We'll be back again, and hopefully Delesslin will be too with us. But until then, deuces, I am the Reverend Arthur Stewart.
1: I'm the Reverend
2: Stephanie Kendall. Reverend Dr. Delesslin Kenneru. Thank you all Thank so much for this opportunity to share today. Thank,
0: Thank you, you so much. On. Get more 2-on-1 two-on-one at 2on1project.com.